0: Isaiah 61, and if I could ask uh, John just to put that up on the um, on the screen back here. Isaiah 61, the first four verses. This is the mission statement of Jesus, and I want to remind us that this scripture basically tells us that the work and ministry of Jesus is to take those who are described as poor, which means that they know, have need and know their need and are willing to accept help, take those people and turn them or transform them into agents of transformation. Let me make this more personal. This scripture is saying that Jesus's work in you and me takes our broken areas and causes those to become the very things that, that he works in to transform us And to make us agents of transformation. I'm gonna read the scripture now Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 4. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to appoint those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified and they shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Can I just ask that we would pray for a minute here and just ask the Lord to take uh, what we're about to look at, look at the scripture, and most specifically, uh, the healing of our hearts, that we would be agents of the healing of hearts of others. So, Lord, we do thank you, Uh, that you are here and that you are with us. We lean entirely upon you, Jesus. We don't want to just meander through life surviving. We want to walk with you. We want to see your kingdom come, your will be done on earth and in our lives and in our homes and in our neighborhoods, our streets, our workplaces, as it is in heaven. Lord, we thank you and recognize we cannot do this on our own, but you are most able. Lord, we bring our hearts before you this morning. You know our hearts even better than our heart, than we do. Lord, you know the places that you desire to heal. We ask you, Lord, this morning, in Jesus' name, that you would bring healing to any area of brokenheartedness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The amazing thing of this scripture, if I could say it again, is that in verse 4, if you can read, apologies for the smaller font, they will rebuild the ancient ruins, restore the places. Uh, okay, we need, we need another translation. That's fine. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. these Who are they in verse 4 down here? They, as we said last week, they is... Those who, in verse uh, 2, are described as mourning. And if you go on before that, it's those who are apparently in captivity or in prison of sorts. That's speaking of spiritual bondage, not physical, natural. And then it's in earlier in verse 1, it says brokenhearted. Who are the, those who would rebuild ruins? It's people who have issues, right? who are mourning, who are brokenhearted, who are in captivity, and who ultimately, as it says in the beginning of this verse, verse one, poor, which, as we said, does not just speak to the economically disenfranchised. It speaks to those who have need and who understand that they have need and, as a consequence, are willing to accept the help for that need. It really is speaking of humble. In fact, that is one of the translations of the original Hebrew word, is humble and humility and faith are the two magnets of the grace of God for the work of God to be done in our lives. God doesn't need our awesome talents and our skills. He doesn't even need all of our doctrinal perfection. He needs a heart that is willing to say yes. That's always been the case, as it was in the case with Mary, the mother of Jesus, visited by, uh, by uh, the angel Gabriel with the announcement that you are going to become pregnant as a yet unwed teenage girl, with God's son that's a pretty big message right did she have some great credential was she f- just fresh out of bible school and had aced to her exams and she was had all of her stuff and, no she was a teenage girl in love with joseph a carpenter from nowhere right what did she have for her her response to the angel gabriel was so be it let it be done to me according to your word a yes in her heart. That's poverty of spirit. It's the opposite of pride. Are you following? If you and I can become good at not being prideful, and some of us are very humble in the way that we walk around in front of people, but before God, we're full of barriers. No, you cannot touch that. No, you cannot have that in my heart. You cannot have that part of my life. That's pride, right? Are you following? Some of you are like, ouch. Well, I'm not trying to be ouch. I'm trying to lead us to becoming a rebuilder of ruins and enter into the call that Jesus has for us. And so that's the plan that God has for us is to make us, it's this cycle, this ever-revolving cycle that Jesus perpetuated of bringing transformation that those who catch who on to the gospel would then themselves become healed and freed from captivity and set in their divine place so that they could then become rebuilders of ruins so that they would go out and preach the gospel and help people find healing and freedom from captivity and being set into their place so that they could... Are you following? This is the perpetuated cycle that Jesus started, and this is what you and I are really entering into. Well, I thought church was all about just coming to church on Sunday, and I hear a good word, and I get encouraged. Maybe that's what we've known church to be, but that's not what Jesus started. I want to get back to what Jesus started. So, rebuilders in verse 4 are the ones who are, 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 have issues, as I said before, and becoming a rebuilder begins with simply the healing of the heart. I want to just quickly explain that it says that the Spirit, of the, Lord, uh, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. I'm not even going to look up there because it's just a completely different translation than what we're looking at. Read the New King James. <laughs> Mixed with the King James. That's the more accurate one. So the, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He's presenced himself because he has anointed me. He anoints me. This is Jesus. Jesus quoted this at the beginning of his ministry. But in so much as you and I abide in Jesus, this is also speaking to you and me that you could say with Jesus, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. Now, that's awesome, right? We all get excited about that, the goosebumps and the, and the Holy Spirit upon us, and it feels good, and that's awesome. But there's a purpose for all that that doesn't have to do with me, me and me, how I feel, even though I do love it. You know, and you, you and I both benefit from it. It's not about me. It's about him. It's about others because the Lord has anointed me. Why? To preach good news to the poor. God's heart breaks for the poor. Again, yes, sure, the poor economically, but the poor in spirit, as, Ma- as Jesus said in Matthew 5. And to reach the poor, he has to have a vessel. Jesus was that vessel, and Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. We are sent, and there is a purpose for being sent. Do you know that the gospel is not like a sawed-off shotgun that you just shoot and hope it finds a target somewhere, and, it, and it, it, there's a target, can I say a target audience called the poor, but there's also a target it's shooting for. See, he didn't just say he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. It says that he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent, that speaks of a commissioning. There is a target we're shooting for as we go about with the gospel. What is that? He has sent me to bind up or to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to, to proclaim the acceptable day of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to appoint to them who mourn in Zion to give them beauty for ashes. Are you following me? The, 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 The work of the spread of good news of Jesus, and I'm not talking about you and I becoming evangelists who stand up on stages. I'm talking about Jesus doing a work in you, and you go tell others about what he's done. That's it. And I'm not talking about cramming down people's throat. I'm talking about loving people, and as you love them, and as they get to know you, they find out what's happening in your life. That's what we're talking about. As people hear good news from you, or for some of you, you may be called to stand up and, and preach and, and all that kind of stuff. Don't, don't shy away from that either. I'm just trying to make it to where all of us are included in this. There is a purpose for it, a, sending, a a mission that we're on. It's to heal the broken heart. That's where it begins. Why does it begin with the healing of the broken heart? Because life begins from the heart. Proverbs 4.23, as we said last week, Guard your heart with all diligence. Why? Because out of it flow the issues of life. Many of us think that the issues of life flow out of making a lot of money. And so we live lives trying to make more money because surely money changes everything, right? Or some of us think it's popularity or some of us think think it's what? What? Scripture says that everything in your life flows from the condition of your heart. And if that's the case, God is most sincerely and supremely interested in touching your heart so that you can live free and be that agent of transformation. Are you following? If that's true, your course of following Jesus' will for your life is not about you being perfected. It is about you allowing him into your heart. So if you can touch, it, touch the heart, here's the main thought for the day. You ready? The heart was broken and continues to be broken. The heart is broken by believing a lie. And it is healed by believing good news. I like simple recipes. And I love that the gospel does not require a, an erudite scholar to understand. It requires a humility of heart. And That is the truth. What I just said. The heart is broken. We want to heal our broken hearts. We want to see other people's hearts get broken. Here's how it happens. It, something you understood what I meant. You wanna, we want to see other people's broken hearts become healed. It is the the heart is broken by believing a lie, and it's healed by believing good news. Let me just first first thought here for the for the morning is that the devil's only power is lies. That's all he's got in the arsenal. Once we understand that, the people of God rise up with a courage because we realize he is actually impotent unless we give power. If I am a liar and I base my whole operation around deceiving people then if somebody refuses to believe my lie, that person is not under my power. I have no access to that person. And so the devil's only tool in his toolbox is lies. If you'll look with me at John chapter 8, verse 44, it's, uh, Jesus says, you are of your father, the devil. <laughs> By the way, we need a new idea of, who Jesus really is. He's not afraid to speak to some people truth. And by the way, that's the truth that would set those people free. You are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Why? Because there is no truth in him. Now we're getting to the core identity of who the devil, who Satan is, what he's got, how he operates. Listen to this. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of lies. He is the originator. He is the progenitor. He is the, all lies, all deception originally stem from the devil. It is the core identity according to what Jesus has said. And if that's the case, then his only power is lies. A lie, my friends, just to kind of look at how he operates, a lie is most deceptive when it is encased in 90% truth And the lie is just that other little alternative perspective. Can we say alternative facts, maybe? Alternative facts that he puts into 90% truth, and it's that little 10% lie that does the, the destruction. So the devil has never once, since I've been a Christian, appeared on my shoulder with a pitchfork and a tail. He's never appeared to me physically. I've never... And yet he surrounds me all the time. I don't know. His minions, some of you are like, well, the devil isn't omnipresent and whatever. The work of the devil is surrounding us all the time. All the time. The Second Corinthians refers to the devil as the god of this world. That's a whole other thing we can't get into now, but let's just understand that he has limited access and power and authority over this world because man who was given authority and power over this world yielded it to him at the fall. Uh, Paul in Ephesians calls him the prince of the power of the air. So there are lies, his deceptions are, are all around us. And it's 90% truth caked, baked into it, 10% lie. It's like in the Garden of Eden. If you notice the first time that we see the devil, uh, he appears to Eve actually in the garden, and he says a lot of things to her that are true. He, he points out some things, and it actually says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, I'll read it to you. It says that <clears throat> so that when the woman, or Eve, saw that the tree was number one, good for food, that was true, that it was pleasant to the eyes, that was also true, it wasn't just a lie. And that it was desirable to make one wise, also true, she took of its fruit and ate. And I want to say that to you and me. Most of us have about those, well, this is true, and this is true, and that's true, so I'm, that's a pretty compelling lie. That's, that's pretty compelling, and we end up believing it. But it doesn't happen that consciously. You follow what I'm saying? It happens, life events happen, and we make conclusions about things that have happened to us that get into our heart and become a core inner belief. And that core inner belief breaks our hearts and also brings us into bondage. This is the stuff that the good news is coming in to heal our hearts. Um, I've got, you know, my mom is an amazing lady. I love her to bits. And um, she's come a long way, even in her relationship with God. And she's been transformed in many, many ways. But there were days back in the past where maybe she wasn't, so transformed, and I want to honor my mom. I'm not trying to put her, you know, in the, uh, but, but just to say there were some moments earlier in her life where perhaps her modus operandi and her way of trying to respond to life situations was, was not as healthy as it would be today, and uh, that would make me upset. How many of you have ever been upset with your parents before because of the, their modus operandi, and, um, but I began to realize, you know, reflecting back on her past, She would tell us stories of how her mom was, and I met her mom, you know, she was my grandmother, um, and she was certainly not a very um, emotionally available person, very kind of harsh, very under herself, didn't really affirm my mom at all. In fact, one morning, Christmas morning, my mom opened up stockings together with the rest of her siblings, and in her stocking, unlike the rest of her siblings, was a lump of coal. And when she looked at her mom, her mom said, well, you were naughty this year. And my mom was like a straight-A student, perfect little girl, right? That's what my mom lived under. And so as an adult, that, that had some effects on her over a period of time that I reaped the negative reward of and experienced the negative end. But it's been important for me to forgive her. Why? Because she, her heart was probably broken from sh- stuff that she did not choose She grew up in an environment that taught her some things that God did not want her to learn. And there's an uh, alternative truth that she's come to learn about the love of God that's begun to touch some of those areas and transform some of her thinking and her feelings, right? And so this is the way that the Lord wants to operate in our lives because all of us have had situations like my mom. All of us are going to experience situations this week. It is all around us sin. The work of the devil constantly breaking our hearts. The reason we don't think that we have a broken heart is because we don't live in uninhibited uh, un, uh, or uh, union and communion with God as it is in heaven. If we, if we only knew of heaven, then we would look at the way we are and think, oh my gosh, we need help. You, you follow what I'm saying? The good news is Jesus has opened up the way Heaven. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, within grasp. Repent and believe the gospel. This is what Jesus came to do restore heaven into the hearts of people, to transform us so that we become agents of transformation. And so, if you look at uh, another garden, you know, that was the Garden of Eden. Jesus was in kind of another wilderness, we'll say, right after he gets baptized. He's about to start his ministry, and the devil comes to him there. And it's the same thing. The devil came to Adam, the first Adam, the first man, and he came to the last Adam, Jesus Christ, in the, in the, in the wilderness to try to tempt him right before he was about to embark in his ministry. And one of the things that he did, I won't go into all those temptations, but if you'll look at me in Luke chapter 4, The same chapter where Jesus begins his ministry and quotes Isaiah 61, by the way. Luke chapter 4, verse 5, it says, Then the devil, taking him, Jesus, up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Now, when when the devil took Jesus up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world, guess what? Were those kingdoms make-believe? Those were the kingdoms of the world. This is true, is what I'm saying. He wasn't lying to Jesus. He was showing him some real stuff. You following? All the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, verse 6, and the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory for this has been delivered to me. That was not make-believe. It had all been delivered to him at the fall by Adam and Eve. That's how he became the God of this age, the prince of the power of the air. He was not called that before Eden right? How did he begin to, how did he become that? Because the keys were handed over by Adam and Eve at the fall. All this authority had been given to Satan, and he had it to give. That was true. The kingdoms were true. The promise of what he was going to do was true, or what he could do, and I will give it to whomever I wish, and therefore, if you will worship me, worship before me, all will be yours. Do you see? True, true, and then the alternative. Truth, truth, here's the twist. Here's the temptation. He didn't say exactly, here's my lie. He gave something that was compelling and juicy and smelled good. And he wanted Jesus. There could have been something in Jesus that would want to say, yes, I want that. That sounds nice. And in that moment, Jesus says, verse 8, and Jesus answered and said to him, get behind me, Satan, For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. He didn't say what the lie was, but Jesus discerned by the spirit, that's the lie. Why? It counters the truth that my father has given me, that the father has spoken, that you shall worship only him. Therefore, because I know that, I know this thing that you've just said to me, as good as it could sound to my flesh, it's a lie. It's a twisting of the, of the truth. That's the power that, that Satan has to bring brokenness to our hearts. What I'm getting at is when my mom experienced that stuff as a child, she, that was a literal cold on an actual Christmas morning, a humiliation in front of her siblings, a rejection by her own mom who is supposed to celebrate her, a, a, a actual feelings actual circumstances and i'm saying that the devil brings actual circumstances that would try to suggest something of a lie to us and it and we accept that lie without even knowing it and it does damage in our lives and ultimately through our lives because hurt people hurt people do you understand what i just said hurt people hurt people That's why forgiveness is so key in the gospel. You want to get healed? Forgive. Stop the chain. Stop the perpetuation of the cycle. Forgive. That's another story. Let me ask you a question here, folks. What has broken your heart? Can I I ask you to actually think about the answer to that? What has broken your heart? Some of you may not know. I'll, I'll help you along with that process. What seems to be the thing that you respond in an unhealthy way in life? Maybe that thing that triggers you to snap. Maybe that thing, it'd be mean or ugly to somebody. Maybe it's that thing that gets you to want to run away and hide. Maybe it's that thing that makes you want to go, do that thing that you know you shouldn't do, but it's the only way that you know to coax yourself and feel better. What is that thing? Let me ask you another question. What maybe is the lie that you believed to get you to that place of brokenness? What's the lie that undergirds inside of your heart? Can I ask you another question? What would God's perspective or truth that would replace that lie. Just just thinking on that. So the, the first thing that we're looking at here is that the devil's only power is lies. But let's move on. The heart was broken by believing a lie. What I'm getting at is every lie that you and I have believed that has brought brokenness, excuse me, into our hearts, every single lie, it all stems from an origin of lie that we find in the garden so to understand what happened at the garden is to understand how we can break the lies that you and I have believed thousands of years later making sense so we were created in his love and in his pleasure and I hope that lies make sense I feel like I've explained that, so I'm going to move on. We were created in his love and pleasure. I'm just going to speak some truth over us um, as we're working to understand what the original lie was. We were created in his love and his pleasure. Would you uh, turn to Genesis chapter 1? We're going to look at the very beginning of this whole thing together. Genesis chapter 1, in the, in the six days of creation, many of you know the story. It says that uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and and um, and uh, there was the, the fu- there was uh, the darkness and there was the void. And God said, "Let there be light and there was light." And, and at the end of the day, God said, it was. good, exactly. And, uh, he, and there are six days of creation. Of course, on the seventh day he rests. And uh, it says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, when he's creating each of these things, and he's creating even like trees that bear seed that are going to reproduce after its kind, and then he creates animals, various kinds of mammals and whatever, and they're going to bear seed and reproduce after their kind. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, please catch this in your heart, it says, Then God said, Let us make man, that's humankind, in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion. What is the point of this? Is that mankind was originally created, unique from all of the rest of creation, not only in this world, but in all of the stars and the galaxies that surround, only one thing was created actually after the kind or image of God himself and it was humanity, the only ones who were uniquely designed to be, in other words, the offspring of God. Can I take that one step further? The children of God. Can I take that one step further? The family of God, created to be sons and daughters who alone would share his DNA. Are you understanding? There was something, if we understand that in, Gen- in John, uh, 1 John, we understand that God is love, that when he created these sons and daughters, this wasn't just a desire to like have my little minions, my servants, who are all going to worship me and, and serve me. He created them in love, and love is always giving. God so loved the world that he gave. Love is giving, right? It's sacrificial. He created us in love. Love so that he could love us so that his love would have an object. That is why you and I were created. That's that's how we how we were created. And it says that all things reproduce after their own kind. And not only what I just explained, but we also in the beginning brought great pleasure to God. So as I just said earlier, at the end of each of these days, he, God said it was. But uh, well, don't steal my thunder. <laughs> it's not my thunder anyway. It, it is true. At the, uh, at the end of the sixth day in which God created mankind, he didn't just say it was good. Every, every single day there prior to that, he said a tobe the Hebrew word, which means pleasant and agreeable. But if you'll look with me in verse 31 of chapter one, it says, then God saw everything that he had made. Again, he had just created mankind, the apex of the creation, the final point, the last thing that he created, mankind. Everything. It was kind of like, if I can say it this way, when, when before we had children and Minda was pregnant with our firstborn, Peter, sitting right there, we had an extra room in our apartment and we decided uh, we, once she was pregnant, we're gonna repaint the walls and we're gonna make it uh, the way we wanna look for our child and we're gonna go out and we're gonna buy a crib and we're gonna fill that crib with African animals because we love Africa and then, of course, we live there later with him and so we have all this stuff. And we we got, and and, and well before Peter actually emerged from the womb of his mom, there was a room already ready. And we did that in love and in joy and in anticipation of this son that was gonna be uh, the object of our affection. And in the exact same way, God created all of these other first five days, setting the stage so that on the sixth day, he could bring back what was ultimately the purpose of all the rest of creation. Now, take that into consideration when you think about how God feels about you and about me, that all of this was created for us. We are the point. And when that sixth day came, God looked at all that he had created and said, say it was good. He said it was very good. The, the, the original Hebrew language meaning forcefully, abundantly Good. I in other words, I, I think God was something of what you see when a parent sees their child for the first time. You struggle to come up with words. You just look at this at this child in, in amazement, right? That's the way he was feeling and, and much more. And so we were created uh in his love and his pleasure, we brought great pleasure to him, and we were also created to share intimacy with him. It says in the next chapter, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it said, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. I want you to kind of picture that with me, that man was evidently created, the material body was created, And uh, out of the dust of the ground, there was the the body of man, and and God would have presumably gone right in front of Adam and breathed into him the breath of life, meaning that when Adam became a living being, (gasps) receiving the first breath, opening his eyes, what was the first thing that he would have seen? The face of God, the adoring parent, the parent that would never think of putting a lump of coal in Adam's stocking, right? Full of love, excitement. Finally, the two see one another. This is the dream of God. God had no higher plan than this right here. There was nothing else. There was no plan B. It was intimacy with this one and all who had come from this one. This is it. Intimacy, love, family, connection. And this is how it began. Are you, are you catching this? This is what I'm getting at. God's plan for you and me even still today and his heartbeat towards us is that he loves us. We actually bring him pleasure. We were created for intimacy. And because we have messed it up, his love is such that he would actually sacrifice himself to become the way that we can again have this again so the source of our brokenness is believing not a lie but the lie the lie there are lies and then there's the lie from which it all comes and we're about to read the first lie all of the lies that are breaking our hearts right now and my heart as well stem originally from this one lie and i want to ask that we Let this sink deep into us and ponder and allow this lie to be undone inside of our hearts. If you'll go with me to the next chapter, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent, otherwise Lucifer, Satan, the devil, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, your translation may say, Has God really said, that you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Now, I want to just kind of point out there, Jesus, uh, the, excuse me, Satan or, or the serpent is, is suggesting another perspective that, uh, that Adam and Eve had maybe never considered. Did God really say questioning God? Well, it's a foreign thought, but come to think of it, hmm, Right? And then in verse 2, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it unless you die. And then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. Now I want to point something out here. You know what? The devil was lying, but the devil was also telling the truth. What do I mean by that? Did Adam and Eve biologically end their lives the moment that they ate that tree, that, that fruit? They didn't die. Their biotic life continued. So there was truth to what he was saying. They wouldn't die. And she begins to think, well, maybe maybe that's true. Maybe we're not going to die. Maybe I have every right to eat of this fruit. And in fact, I don't need to be afraid of it. And in fact, I'm just getting robbed from because if I think about it, that tree actually looks mighty fine. And he's just holding me back from something. And so he takes it a little further that the suggestion in what the devil just said is not just pointing out that you're not actually really going to die it's that god is a liar are you hearing that god is a liar now you 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 holy christian people in here i know you think i would never think that god is a liar. I would dare say most Christians live most of the time believing that we can't really trust him. Verse 2, and the woman said to the serpent, "We oh, I already read that. Verse 5, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil which, again, was the truth. They did understand good and evil. What they didn't understand is that the knowledge of good and evil, which is the law, the knowledge of good and evil, is the thing that keeps us from life, which is not analyzing are we good, are we evil, what's right, what's wrong. It's following intimate connection with god and as we keep that union unhindered we live in life and we end up doing good and not evil you follow and so th- the knowledge of good and evil resulted in adam and eve realizing that they're naked why did they realize that they're naked because it caused them to analyze themselves they were looking at themselves how many of us christians try to serve God by analyzing ourselves. Am I right? Am I wrong? Oh, that's not good. That's not. And Jesus is saying, hey, hey, up here. Look at me. Look at me. Peer, peer into my eyes. Yes, you've got issues. Yes, you've got problems. Looking at them, observing them, trying to fix them is not going to fix your problem. Look at me. Life. The tree of life. Not the knowledge of good and evil. So, God knows that you will become like him, knowing good and evil. That's true. However, it would reap spiritual death because it would take the focus off of uh, God and onto ourselves. But the idea of what Satan was really doing here is saying to Adam and Eve, God's lies are going to keep him up and you down. God is a liar, and he's trying to stay above you. He's got bad intentions for you. You following? And then verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, we read this earlier, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took and ate of its fruit, and she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. The idea here is that without saying this specifically, saying other things that were all true, that led Eve down a thought process that she had never considered and did it in such a way that she was able to take the bait, so to speak, that he was able to suggest to her without saying it explicitly, God lies, God therefore cannot really be trusted, and underneath all of that is God does not really love you. That, my friends, is the lie from which all lies come. God does not really love you. And that is why the message of Jesus, the act of Jesus, Jesus being the message of God is simply that I, the righteous one, Will take your sin upon me, and I will die in your stead so that you can come back to me. In other words, I love you unconditionally. In other words, undoing this lie, the lie, is simply believing good news. So the heart is healed. Isaiah 61, that where we started, the heart is healed, this and its simplicity, and maybe we've heard it, you know, of a million times, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, uh, but we need to understand, we need to allow that truth to go deep and undo the lie so that we can trust him. Because becoming a rebuilder of ruins, as it says in verse 4, is a life of trust. Trusting him. There are so many Christians, many of us try to do the will of God without allowing God to actually be the one leading it. The whole thing is God doing it through us, meaning that we trust him. How do we trust somebody that we don't really think loves us? How do we trust somebody who may be lying to us? Right? And so we, so the whole thing of, of our, the healing of our heart and even our becoming rebuilders of ruins all begins with believing good news. And so real quick, I just want to end with this, that the heart heals by believing good news. Mark 1.14, now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. The what of the kingdom of God? Good news. The heart is healed by believing What? Good news. He came preaching the good news of the kingdom, saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, as we said earlier, repent and believe. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe. What does repent mean? It means to change your mind. It simply means that the lie that you have believed, don't believe it. Realize that it's a lie. And rather than believing that lie believe what? Good news. Good news. And what is the good news? The good news of the gospel in Jesus. I already said it. We see that he died for us. The whole idea of Jesus is that God loves us and therefore God, because he loves us and because he raised from the dead, therefore he's got all power and all love He can be trusted. Do you see the simplicity of this whole thing? I do, at least. (laughs) Preachers love it when you stare at them. After a question. (laughs) That's all right. (laughs) The simplicity of this, of what happened at the fall, and therefore what Jesus undid. And actually, God using something that the enemy tried to bring destruction, what Jesus has brought about is even brings us to a better place than even where Adam and Eve were. Because Adam and Eve heard and experienced something of the presence of God and the love of God. We now know by virtue of his actions that he loves us. He didn't just told us that he loves us. We know the historic Jesus died on an actual cross for the salvation of my soul. You follow. So everyone who will go into heaven as by virtue of trusting in Jesus, all do so going and knowing by seeing the actions of Jesus. God loves me. And so what is the gospel? John 3:16. Maybe if you've watched sports, you've seen this on a banner somewhere. But we're gonna read it again. For God so loved. God so loved. God so loved. Can I ask that you would maybe take into consideration those words right now over your own heart and your own soul that this same God is standing before you, he is aware of you, he knows your heart, he knows what you're thinking about even in this moment, how you're feeling even in this moment, that God so loved. And you may think, well, I hope I can get to that place where this also applies to me, Uh uh-uh, God so loved the world. What world? The world that rejected him. The world that was birthed in sin because of the fall. That world, God so loved. The world, in other words, that thing that you and I are a part of because of sin, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him what did the gospel undo? It undid the lie that he doesn't love us, and it undid the lie that he therefore cannot be trusted. The gospel says God so loved that whoever believes in him, or in other words, trusts him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. And what is everlasting life? According to John chapter 17, knowing him. Knowing him should not perish, but should live in intimacy and in fellowship and connection with Him forever. Can I ask you to shut your eyes real quick? Because we we, we don't want to just simply preach a message and have content. We want to affect change. We want to become agents of change. We want to allow God, this God, this gospel, to do. We want to be free. So, with your eyes closed, can I just? kind of lead us through a simple kind of prayer conversation with God, if you're willing and if you're, if you're open. Just say right now, God, you know, so don't say it aloud, but in, or you can whisper it or whatever. God, what is my area of brokenness? Where is my heart? How is my heart broken? There may be images that come to you. There may be people who come to you. There may be experiences that come to your consciousness. Let's ask God another question to follow up that one. God, who do I need to forgive? There may be people that come to you. You may think that, oh, I've forgiven them. I want to warn you. <laughs> that image, that face probably came to you for a reason. Now let's ask God another question to follow up that one. God, what do I need to forgive them for? Memories could come up. Pain, hurt. Hurt. You may think it's a small thing. You may think that this is just your mind. It's just a mental thing. Maybe it is, but maybe it's not. Don't dismiss it. God, what do I need to forgive them for? Now, this is incredibly important. There's power in specifically forgiving someone or something some experience that has wronged you. It's ultimately forgiving a person. So I want you to say, I forgive, and put their name in, Matt, Dodie, Samantha, whatever, I forgive such and such for, and then name what you're forgiving them for. Let's follow up that with another question. Because God wants to do some surgery on your heart right now. God, ask this question God, what is the lie that I believed because of that hurt or that experience? What is the lie that I believed? Don't think too much about it. Just whatever comes up in your heart. That's usually usually the obvious thing. What is the lie that I believed? Usually it's either a lie about a person, an accusation about a person, a lie about God himself, or a lie about yourself. It's usually one of those three things. The devil is a liar and he's an accuser. He likes to accuse God, accuse other people, and accuse you. What is the lie that I believe from that hurt? As you identify any lies that perhaps you may have believed, say this, and you can whisper it, you can just say it in in, in your heart without actually using words. I renounce the lie that... And you fill in whatever that blank is, whatever the lie is that you believed. I renounce that lie. You can say, I send that lie back from where it came. Jesus said it this way Get thee behind me, Satan. I spy you out. I see what you are, and I'm rejecting it, and I'm disassociating. That's what you're doing. Once you've done that, let's ask, God, what is the truth that you would give me in place of the lie? And I'll just verbalize that back to God. God, I accept the truth that, and you can just fill in the blanks. Amen. That little thing that we just went through is something that. You can do it any given moment. If you're feeling, if you're seeing brokenness, if you're seeing hurt, if you're feeling like you're in bondage and shackles, oftentimes just asking the Lord, what is this thing? And making it an issue of communion with him, conversation with him. Um, And you can't do this, by the way, if we don't believe that the Holy Spirit is alive and talks to us. (laughs) You kind of have to start there, right? That God actually, in love, includes communication. And if he created us in love, he uh, commu- uh, created us for communication. And so he is a father who, who loves, he's a shepherd, and he says that my sheep know my voice. And so we talk to him about the serious things of the heart that he wants to heal. And so to ask him, Lord, what, you know, what, are the, what, what is this wall that I'm feeling? What's this separation? And is there somebody that I need to forgive? And then to ask him, what is it that I need to forgive them for? And what, are, is there a lie that I believe? Uh, You'll find oftentimes that there is. And God wants to bring healing to your heart.